John 20, verses 19 through 21. 31. 19 through 31. I'll get the numbers right here in a minute. You watch. Okay, maybe next week. Uh, 19 through 31. Uh, let's uh, go do our memory verse this morning. Um, those are a lot of blanks. So uh, let's do the best we can. Here we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not right. Because you can do nothing without me. I'm sorry. Translations, they mess us up, don't they? Because you can do nothing without me. My Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John 15, 5, and 8. All right. I, I, I revert back to, uh, I guess it's King James is probably how I, is it NIV, the one that I uh, memorized? I'm not sure. Close enough, right? All right. John 15, 13. Believing is testifying. I'm sorry, John 20, 19. I am not going to get the numbers right. So whatever I say numerically this morning, discount it because it may not be right. Clearly, my, my head is not thinking of numbers correctly. Believing is testifying. John 20, 19 through 31. As Etta mentioned in her prayer, as we... Uh, talked about uh, uh, Easter Sunday. Believing is not seeing, right? We are those who believe but have not seen. Oh, this morning we, we learn about that a little bit. That we're, we're the ones Jesus talks about as she has told us. But that's not where we're going today. Uh, not specifically or not, not completely. Uh, this week, uh, uh, pastor by the name of Tim Keller. You probably saw, if you're on Facebook, you saw me talk about it. Uh, who, Tim Keller was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, um, which at first blush doesn't sound like the best place to start a church, and yet he had uh, a few thousand come into church at, uh, at Redeemer. And, and primarily had a ministry among young professionals. Um, he was able to do that because he was orthodox. Everything he taught, now of course we're Baptist, so we don't agree with everything Presbyterians believe about how to do church and baptism in particular and maybe a couple other things here and there, but they are orthodox saved Christians, so we, they're our brothers in Christ. He, he was orthodox. He, uh, the big things he believed in that, that all, all should to be a Christian. But he was also brilliant. Um, so he could discuss deep subjects, deep uh, doubts with people in, in a very intelligent way. But he also had incredible compassion. So he was an orthodox believer who believed Christians were going to heaven, and everybody who isn't a follower of Jesus is going to hell. He, he could have the conversations that, that discussed the depths of Scripture uh, in a way that people could understand, but he was also compassionate and kind and winsome and could have conversations with people that they would walk away. I do not agree with anything that man says, 
but I know he loves me and I love him. And, and so he was just an incredible, incredible guy. He was only 72. Uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 21, uh, October of 21, I think, and uh, started going down pretty badly last few months. And they announced he was on hospice, whatever night it was this week, and the next morning he died. I tell you that because I already shared a few quotes on Facebook with him, but about him or with you about him. But this morning's uh, opening is another quote by his, uh, by him, a quote of his. Tim said, "When you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. You have to give up the right to say, I will obey you if I will do this if.'" As soon as you say, I will obey if, that is not obedience at all. You are saying, you're my advisor, not my Lord. I will be happy to take your recommendations, and I might even do some of them. No, if you want Jesus with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late modern culture of self-assertion. But that is what? We are called to do nothing less. I thought that was a, a good introduction to our passage this morning where Thomas says, My Lord and my God, where Jesus gives John's version of the Great Commission. We get our marching orders in this passage of Scripture uh, as recorded by John. If we believe, we will testify. As a matter of fact, our big idea this morning is, if you believe in the resurrection, your words and actions will testify of your faith. And we get some uh, corroborating evidence that we're going to talk about when we get toward the end of our passage, but this is our, our marching orders for us, our application this morning, to take this passage and say, if I believe the way Thomas says he believes, if I believe in the resurrection, and it all hinges on the resurrection, right? I, I kept a, a few other quotes of, of Tim Keller's uh, open, and I'm going to see if, uh, if I can find one. They're, they're all in a list, so I, I may not. If I don't find it quickly enough, I'll just move on. But it all hinges on the resurrection, uh, he said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching, but whether he rose from the dead. It all hinges on the resurrection. So if you believe the resurrection, your words and your actions will testify of your faith. That's what John 20, verses 19 through 31, you see how I slowed down so I could think of the numbers there? That's what it tells us this morning. Read it along with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it will be on the screen for you, but there are Bibles uh, should be near you. I've been saying in the racks underneath the seat in front of you, but I know some of the back seats don't have the racks and maybe the Bibles are gone. Find one. If you don't have one of your own, keep that one. It's your gift, uh, our gift to you this morning. John chapter 20, verse 19. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. 
Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. They're meeting on the evening that they learned of his resurrection. Uh, that it, 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 we went through this passage Easter Sunday, so it's been five, six weeks since we, we talked about the resurrection, the, the first part of John 20, and then we went back and, and built up, and then we skipped over that, and now we're here. But it, So it feels like a big gap. For them, it wasn't. It was a day. They've, they've had lunch. They went to work. They heard about the resurrection. The women come in, came and told them. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They, they saw it but didn't quite know what to think about it. John believes something, but, but we don't know exactly what he believes. They, they get back, they tell everybody, and, and, and everybody else is kind of, mm-hmm, okay, sure, whatever. They go to work, they go to lunch, they come home from work, and now it's that evening. And they've gathered together because what else are they going to do? Uh, they, 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 they've, got to, they've got to try to figure this out. You, you can imagine the conversations. Uh, it's, it's difficult enough, the, the conversations you have when a family member dies or a close friend dies, and, and you knew it was coming. Uh, the, the family of Tim Keller had a lot of conversations this week about what's next and what to do and that sort of thing. They're having these conversations because they didn't know any of this was going to happen the middle of the previous week. Thursday, Friday was a mess. Saturday, nothing's going on. It's the Sabbath. Here we are Sunday. What's next, y'all? So they're sitting up in this room having this conversation. The doors were locked because they're scared of the Jews. They don't know what the Jews are going to do. They, they, they don't know if they've uh, got wanted posters out for them. If, if the Jews have found that the body is gone, uh, they, they, they're thinking, if, if, he's, if they're thinking he's raised, which they probably aren't at this time, they're thinking, well, they're, they're not going to believe he's raised. They're going to think we took the body, so they're coming to get us. Or if uh, they think the Jews took the body, 
then they're going to say, well, they took the body to make it look like somebody stole the body, so they're going to come and blame us. So they're just, they just don't know what to do. They're scared. They are sitting in here hiding. And Jesus appears, shows up right in the middle of them. Jesus came, stood among them, and thankfully said, peace be with you. I don't know how much good that phrase did at that moment. Part of me wants to think that they said, okay, sure, yeah, no. (laughs) Ain't no peace right now. Uh, What is going on? And and the next verse, I think, gives a a little credibility to that. They they didn't, he, he said, look, it's me. But I think there's a part of it that was a part of them Kind of like when uh, on the Emmaus Road that we're going to, uh, nope, not in this gospel, uh, in another gospel where uh, Jesus meets the disciples on the way and, and they're talking about all this stuff and when they get to where they're going, they, they eat a meal and when he says the blessing, they recognize him. I think there's maybe a little of that when he said to them, peace oh can you imagine them thinking that's that's definitely jesus that's that's his voice that that is he has he has comforted us so many times over the last three and a half years i know i know that voice the sheep know the shepherd i think there was a a little of both going on the truth is you and i need the peace just like the disciples needed it when Jesus shows up. It's no different in our lives today. When Jesus shows up, it's terrifying. It, it, it's nerve-wracking. Whether it's him showing up to call us to something or whether we have a service where we just walk away going, Jesus was here, we still need peace. We need that comfort of knowing He didn't come to to wipe us out because surely that's what we deserve. He came to strengthen us. He came to challenge us. He came to charge us. And and sometimes it's peace. Sometimes it's peace. We need peace when Jesus shows up and he knew it. We also need peace when Jesus gives a command. He knows what he's about to tell them. He, he has shown them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So we, we've got some probably pretty big emotional uh, swings. Ah, it's a ghost. Peace. Okay. It's me. Yeah! That just, now he's like, okay. And what are the next words out of his mouth? Peace. It's great. It's, it's joyful. You should be excited when Jesus shows up. But you cannot be so excited you missed the call. You missed the first point this morning. The commission in verses 19 through 25. Don't be so excited, disciples, that you miss what I'm about to tell you. That you have a job to do now. Because you know what the disciples wanted to do, right? Probably the same thing that the ladies wanted to do when they saw him in the garden. Don't cling to me. I know, I know you want to just spend all your time with me, but you can't. That's not what we're here to do. That's not the purpose. That's not the point. You've got a calling. You have a commission. 
Church is vital for the Christian life. Absolutely vital. But this is not our calling. We can come here, we can be excited, we can love it, we can worship, we want to do more of it, we want to spend more time with Jesus, and we should spend all of our time with Jesus, but if we are just coming here, if we just stay here, we are missing what we are supposed to do. If we come in, lock the doors, and hope Jesus shows up, we're not doing what the church is supposed to do. He gives them a commission. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Do you want to know how important our job is as the church? It is, it is just as important as the job Jesus had when God sent him. As the Father has sent me, not in the exact same way, we're not dying for people's sins, but as far as importance, as far as the authority God had to send Jesus, Jesus has the same authority to send us. As the Father has sent me, for the same purpose that the Father sent me, different actions but same results, I am sending you. I came to die for the world. You are now going to share that message with the world. As the Father has sent me, I have sent you. This is John's version of the Great Commission. This isn't the only time Jesus gives the Great Commission. This isn't a replacement. John's not confused about when Jesus gave the Great Commission. John says, I didn't record everything. We know that the other gospel writers obviously didn't record everything. At this moment, and this is all that John chooses to record, Jesus is telling them, preparing them, what they're going to hear when he ascends, when they get what Matthew records in chapter 28. They now have a job. The disciples, the twelve, of which there are only ten at this moment, and whoever else might be in the room with them, Thomas isn't there, Judas is dead. They haven't voted in the, the twelfth disciple that they'll do later on. They've got a job, and, and they've got a lot to tell. It was only by the Holy Spirit that John, we learn in uh, chapter thir verse 30, that he knew which parts to put in Scripture and which not, because if he had recorded it all, he says, it wouldn't, the, the books wouldn't have hold it, held it. And then we, the disciples, you and me, are to continue what Jesus started. As the Father has sent me, I send you. With all that that entails, preaching peace, Preaching comfort, preaching the cross, preaching self-denial, like I read the Tim Keller quote, preaching leaving family, teaching all, Matthew says, all that I have commanded you, everything, and baptizing. And then he says to them, uh, peace, be, uh, peace to you, again, uh, before, the, uh, before the command. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said. Now, the, the Greek there can be translated a little differently. It could also be, uh, after saying this, he breathed 
and said to them, which is a little different visual. We're not really sure which. But then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, this is not a receiving of the Holy Spirit at this moment. That's why I, I, I think the translation is probably better. He breathed and said to them. He didn't breathe the Holy Spirit on them. That comes 50 days later at Pentecost. What he does at this point is promises that they're going to have it and tells them when it comes, receive it. Not that they would have had a lot of say in it, but he is preparing them for what's coming. Receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to have this power in order to do what I'm about to tell you to do. You're not going to be able to preach. You're not going to be able to take my message. I'm not going to be able to send you until you have received the Holy Spirit. Because in other Gospels, he says, hang around here until the Holy Spirit comes. That's going to be your power. He says in Acts, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power, he tells them. Not two givings of the Holy Spirit, but a, a preview and a command for what's coming. And then he tells them, if you forgive it, it'll be forgiven. If you retain it, it will be retained. In the story of the, the uh, paralyzed man dropped down by his two friends through the hole they created in the roof of the house, Jesus t says to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees that are there begin to think, wait a minute. And I'll ask you the question, just so you get your thinking juices going. Who do they say can forgive sins? God alone. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus says, to show that he had the power to forgive sins, who alone can forgive sins? So when Jesus says so that I can show you, or thinks, to show you that I too can forgive sins, he's saying to show you that I too am God. Now, who among the ten, or twenty, or however many happened to be there with the disciples, who among them was God? Nobody. There you go. That's the correct answer. So when he tells them they can forgive sins, he's not giving them the power to forgive sins. What he is telling them, and what he is doing, is, is very similar to Matthew 16 and, and, and Matthew 18, where he says, what you bind on earth will be bound, what you loose on earth will be loose. He says that to uh, Peter after his declaration of the Messiah. And upon this rock I will build my church, Peter, what you bind and, and loose, etc. He's using what are rabbinic rabbis and, and legal terms, uh, a legal uh, image here to, that speak to the necessary clarity of the message. You will... Uh, what you, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He's giving two stark, uh, a stark contrast between these two things. Telling them that the message you preach has to be just as stark. You are going to preach a message of forgiveness through my blood. You have got to have people understand that when they choose... To reject me, they are choosing the furthest uh, 
option from me that they can. And if they choose to accept me, they are choosing the closest option to me they can. As a matter of fact, he's already said he will be in them. There is a clear distinction in the message. You either have accepted Christ or you haven't. Whatever you say is sin, as you go and teach through the power of the Holy Spirit, baptizing, teaching all that I've commanded you, because what else were they told to teach? Nothing. Teach what Jesus has taught them. Teach what I have taught you. If you are doing that, when you see sin, and it is sin... You'll know it's sin because you'll have the Holy Spirit and you'll be teaching what I've taught you. That sin is obviously sin. And when it isn't, it isn't. And when you are clear on that, and when you are clear on the need for forgiveness of sin and the only source of forgiveness for sin, the message, well, will either be received or rejected. But you have been clear. Only God can forgive sins. But you, preacher, you, disciple, you, follower of Jesus, better not preach a muddled message of sin and forgiveness. There better not be a, well, if, and, you know, maybe, no. It is a clear distinction. No one comes to the Father except by Jesus. So your message is and only can be, you are either in His grace or outside of His grace by your repentance, acceptance, and taking up your cross and following Him. That is our commission. That is the disciples' commission. But we learn that Thomas wasn't there. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen him. And he said, I don't care what you saw. I didn't see him. And until I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and my hand in, the, in his side, I am not going to believe. Thomas wants confirmation. Verses 24 through 27, point number two, confirmation. That is what Thomas wants. Now, we need to go easy on him because he's still probably better than we are. But he has shown incredible faith. In chapter 11, verse 16 of John, he said, let's go. We're, we're going south. Let's go. I, I will go with you to the end. I'll fight for you. Now we know he, like the rest of the disciples, scattered the night in the garden. But he still has shown very similar faith and willingness to Peter. The difference between Thomas and Peter is that Thomas thinks about things and then speaks Peter uh, speaks and then gets told to think about things. And then he goes, oh, I should have thought about that. Thomas is a thinker. He's a realist, really. And he wants certainty. I go to prepare a place for you, and and, and when I get there, I'll I'll take you with me. And Thomas said, "Uh, how are we going to go if we don't know where it is? How how are we going to go if we don't know the way? It was Thomas's question that led to Jesus saying, I am the way. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate that. I have this bad habit. I have many. I have this one, though, uh, where I actually don't think it's a bad habit, but I think it can be annoying. In a crowd, um, 
or a small group or some something that we're learning something, I tend to ask the question I'm thinking. Um, and sometimes it's just clarity. I, I'm, I am not getting it. My assumption usually is that there's probably somebody else in the room that's also thinking the same, uh, the same thing, questioning in a similar way. So I, I ask the question for me and for, for others. And to me, that's Thomas. Thomas asks the question that a lot of us would have been thinking, but we'd have been too scared to ask. Uh, to, to ask. We've been like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I ain't asking him. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Isn't that what they did to John when they were gathered around the, the, the supper table and he said, one of you betray me? John, ask him who's going to betray him. Why? John was closest. John was the beloved disciple. John was best buds with Jesus. So John can ask him and he won't, he won't do anything. Some of y'all's kids, those of you who have kids, those of you who have multiple kids, in there one kid that'll ask the questions and the other kid or kids will, go ask mom and, go ask mom and daddy if we can do that. They don't want to be told no. You go ask them to be told no. I don't. So let's not be too hard on Thomas. He does overdo it just a bit with his demands. Here's where he's a lot like Peter. Peter, I'll never leave you. I'll go to war with you. I will wash my, not just my feet, but my head and my everything. <laughs> Vomit at the mouth. And Thomas, I'm a thinking person. I'm a realist. You're telling me this stuff, but I don't believe it because I haven't seen it. And I tell you what, I will not believe it until I thrust my finger in his hands and put my hand in his side. Like, whoa, autopsy man, we're not going to, all right. Just a little much. And so they're gathered together the next week, presumably the, the next first day of the week. A week later, they're indoors again, and the doors are locked, Thomas is with them. And Jesus comes and shows up again. Now, as far as we know, and, and I'm, I, I didn't research this, so feel free to correct me. As far as I know, he hasn't shown up to them any time during the, the week. This is just the next time. He appears in the middle of the room again. Um, another one of my quirks is I, I, I can be quiet when I want to, like moving. I guess that was learned that from my big dad hunting. Um, and there's a certain person on staff that I can scare regularly, and it's not my wife or Justin. <laughs> um, because I can... I can sneak up fairly easily. And sometimes I'm not even when I'm trying. I mean, just, just, and, and just speak. And all I, all I have to do is just start talking. And, and there's a, a, a particular reaction uh, every time. It usually ends up being a bruise on my shoulder. Um, that's kind of what I see happening here. It wasn't that they didn't believe anymore. The disciples, they believed. They knew, but they hadn't seen him. And then... Poof! Here, there he is again in the middle of the room. And so he says, peace, be still. And I, I'm sure he said it for the whole room, but I'm confident he said it for Thomas. Because Thomas is about to wig out. I mean, you, you, you got to know that he, okay, uh, wow. Um, 
I know you told me he did it this way, but y'all, this is crazy. Because, y'all, we need peace when Jesus shows up. When he shows up, we need to be comforted. But Thomas gets his wish. Jesus says, all imperatives, put your finger here, look at my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Notice what the text doesn't say. That Thomas did it. Maybe he did. I I like to think that if he had, John would have put it in there. And so Thomas put his finger in his hand and put his hand in his side and thus believed. But that is, that's not the image we get. The, The wording that Thomas responded seems to imply that he responded to the command and not the action. At that point, Thomas doesn't need to touch anything. Thomas doesn't need to go through with his uh, somewhat boastful I'll never believe unless, because when he sees his Savior, when he hears those words, the same that the other disciples heard a week earlier, peace be with you. When he sees, just like they saw again in uh, the, the previous verse, doesn't say that the rest of the disciples put their hand, finger in his hands or anything. He just showed them. And they rejoiced. And poof, Jesus says, Sup, peace be with you. And Jesus doesn't leave any doubt. He commands Thomas not to be faithless. That's the the, uh, fifth imperative. Don't be faithless, but believe. Don't lack belief, but believe. Jesus never leaves us in doubt. He never gives us the opportunity to wonder if he is being truthful with us, if he is being clear in his commands, or anything like that. He is always going to be obvious. He shows up. Peace. Isn't this what you were looking for? And Thomas says, not on my birthday, what song did you sing to me? You know, he doesn't ask any questions that would, you know, lead, uh, what something only Jesus would know. You know, nothing like that. He says in verse 28, my Lord and my God. This is his confession. This is the confession. It is the, that's point number three, the confession. The highest confession in all of the Gospel of John. Even more so than uh, Peter's, which isn't in John, but Pe- 
greater than Peter's confession of you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He was, he was not wrong, but he was uh, putting the wrong emphasis, the, the wrong definition of Messiah. Thomas has got it. My Lord and my God. With these few little words, Thomas ties up the entire narrative of John from the prologue to the ending on about who Jesus is. He is my Lord and my God. What has John been telling us? Chapter 1, verse 1. John tells us that Jesus is God. John tells us that Jesus is active in creation in chapter 1, verse 2. John tells us that Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became the Word, became incarnate in 1.14. Jesus is the sin-bearing Lamb in 1.29 and 36. Jesus is the Messiah in 1.41 and 4.25 through 26. Jesus is the Son of God in 148. He's the King of Israel in 148. He's the new temple in 2, 19 through 21. He's the teacher from God in 3, 2. He's the symbol of God's power through Moses in 3, 14. He's the evidence of the love of God in 3, 16. He's the savior of the world in 4, 42. He is equal with God in 5, 18. He's the authority in judgment in 527. He is the agent of God in 530. He's the fulfillment of scripture in 539. He's the expected prophet in 614. He is the I am in 635. He's the supplier of living water in 738. He's one who was from God in 931 through 33. He's the son of man in 935. He's the holy one in 1036. He is lifted up one in 414 and 1232 through 34. He's the glorified one in 1331. He's the preparer of his followers destiny in 142. He is the non-abandoned one in 1418. He is the one in whom we abide and the basis for our fruitfulness in 15, 5 through 7. He's the sender of the paraclete in 1526. He's the bearer of truth in 1837. He's the crucified king in 1915. He's the risen Lord in 2020. How can Thomas not and how can we not with him boldly declare my Lord and my God? That's who Jesus is. And Thomas now gets it. Like he never got it. Like I would dare say at this moment, none of his disciples get it. My Lord and my God. Now if that is our declaration and our confession to him, because it is what we say at the moment of salvation... No matter what words we might use, we are saying, my Lord and my God. Then it must also be our declaration and confession about him to others. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And we have what we need to do that. We have everything we need 
to share the gospel message with others. I've, I've said before, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to explain to someone else how to be saved. But, but we're not just there, not just, oh, if I just know that. No, 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 no. Number four, we have corroboration. We have all we need to share the message. Because John keeps going. As a matter of fact, this was probably the first ending of the gospel. It probably ended here. And then John realized uh, by the Holy Spirit he needed to talk a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, Holy Spirit, we've got to write about the, the commissioning on the beach, the, the, the bringing back of Peter. And I think I said earlier that Peter what, didn't declare the Messiah in John. I think he did, right, in chapter 4. I want to uh, clear that up. I don't like it when I say things that, that aren't right, uh, at least uh, when I know I have said something wrongly. So we have this corroboration in this first ending. Jesus says to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Believing is not seeing for us. We don't get to see the empty tomb. Well, we can see the empty tomb, but not the grave clothes laying there. We don't get to see the risen Jesus. We don't get even the, the opportunity to say, well, if I don't get to put my finger in the hole in his hands, my hand in the hole in his side, you don't want to get to do any of that because we're not going to get any of that. We are those that have not seen but believe. And y'all, because of that, we have a testimony. Not that the disciples didn't have a testimony, have mercy. What a testimony! Well, see, we were up there in that room, and we thought that Jesus were going to come get us, and, and suddenly Jesus, poof, appeared, and it was, wow, and we were a slay, and it was just, you know, it was major. And then a week later, you know what? Did it again! And then appeared to, we learned later, 500 people and for days and days, and wow. They had a testimony. But y'all, we have a testimony. I've never seen Jesus, but I have never seen him leave me either. I have never seen my Savior, but I know what my Savior has done for me. I know that this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And let me tell you, through all of those things, had I not had my Jesus, I would not have made it. Would I still be alive? Maybe. I don't know. But I would not be where I am at this moment. We have a testimony as those who have not seen but believe. And testimonies are great. As a matter of fact, testimonies are really the only thing somebody can't argue with you about. They can't say, well, you didn't feel that. Well, how do you know my feelings? You have a testimony, but we've got corroboration. This gospel was expressly prepared to be a witness. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He was writing to disciples who weren't disciples yet. He was writing to people who hadn't seen and would not see. Folks that had seen were dying off. This is some 40, 50, depending on who you talk to, 60 years after the resurrection and ascension. There aren't many eyewitnesses left 
It's why Luke prepared his gospel. It's why they all wrote it down. Y'all, the, the people to, to give the oral testimony are leaving. We need to write this down. And John says, I've written this to you, you who have not seen Jesus, so that you may know and believe, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have scripture. We have our testimony. We have scripture. But we have our lives. If we believe, we have life. We have this path instead of that path. We have, well, I took that path, but let me tell you how Jesus brought me back. That's testimony. But when people look at us, what do they see? We have our example. We have the life we lead. As the Father is sending me, I send you. One of the aspects of Jesus' life is that he was an example of how to live. It's not the only thing. His death on the cross was an example. It's not the only thing, but it's part of it. We, he exemplifies and we model. Paul said, as I imitate Christ, you imitate me. Y'all have never seen Christ. I have. I spent time with him. I met him on the road. As I imitate him, you imitate me. We, as disciples, as I imitate Scripture, you imitate me. As you imitate Scripture, the world sees you and says, that looks like what I think Jesus might look like. Or they say, that doesn't look a thing like the Jesus I've heard of. We have our testimony, we have Scripture, and we have our life that will be a witness. And so armed with those three, we are commanded by our Lord and our God to go and share his words and our testimony. Our testimony through word and our testimony through deed. If you believe, if you believe in the resurrection without Jesus going poof, sup, if you believe with all the others that believe but have not seen, you must, you will testify. Just, you think these, when he showed up Sunday night, the first time, the day after, or the day of the resurrection, do you think the disciples, the next time they saw Thomas, were just like, hey, Thomas, how's work today? Uh, you know, my boss is a drag, and I just, I don't, I don't really like the job. I'm thinking of transferring to, to Joppa, maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some possibilities. I'm floating some, some resumes. Um, they should get there in a month. Um, so, yeah, what about you? Eh, I don't, fishing is just not really my thing either. I'm tired of it. They stink. Um, I don't even like fish. I'm more of a beef guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, by the way, uh, Jesus showed up last night. Um, so when you move to Joppa, where are you thinking you're going to live? I hear that. No, they weren't doing that. They probably went looking for Thomas. Thomas, how could you miss this? What were you doing, man? When you've seen Jesus, you're going to testify to that. 
And Jesus sometimes may have to say, peace, hold on. Wait for me, don't get out in front of me. But as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Be clear about the message. Sin and righteousness. Not found by works, but only found in me. Take my words and teach them. The word, all of them. Teach them. Live your life so it is an example of me to a lost world that thinks the life that I lived, that I'm calling you to live, is stupid. Second Peter, they will think you are loco because you follow me. They'll think you're crazy. It's okay. Live the life. Live the example. Maybe somebody this morning... I'm not going to say maybe, I'm going to say confidently. There's somebody listening. You've never followed Jesus. You've never believed. You've never trusted him as Savior. You've never repented of your sins. Today is your day to do that. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Here's the, the basics of the gospel. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You are a sinner and you can't do anything about it. And because of your sin you will die physically and you will die spiritually. And eternity separated from God. But God has provided a gift for you. A gift of salvation. A gift of eternal life. It is yours. It is free for the taking. It's not cheap but it's free. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can have salvation. Faith. Belief, trust, repentance. But as I've talked about, as I talked about last week, and I'm modifying my invitation because of this, it is not a simple prayer and, and I'm done and I feel good and I just don't go do what I want to. No, the next step to you have to take if you want to follow Jesus is to take up your cross. Leave your life. Follow him. It is a costly discipleship. He's not saying come get some feel goods and nothing changes in your life. No, he is talking about a radical, there's our word, life transformation. And that may, at will, not may, that will look like baptism, public declaration of your faith. It will look like submitting to God Who's in charge? The guy who shows up in the middle of the room says, Sup, peace, I've got a command for you. It will look like conforming your life, doing the things he said do, taking up a cross, leaving family, leaving friends, leaving jobs. It'll look like joining this church, certainly joining a church, being a part of a fellowship, a, a, a body, a local body of believers. Being a follower of Jesus is costly. And it is worth everything it will cost you and more. Because Jesus promises anybody who's left family and lands and jobs will be blessed over and over and over with more than that in this life and the life to come. 
follow Jesus, give it all up, and get everything and more back. Your opportunity to do that is this morning. It begins with repentance, confession, admission, believing, however you want to put it. But it ends with leaving everything and following him. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would move in this place. Lord, we, we praise you for the completion of John. The completeness of the gospel of John. From the word in the beginning to the, my Lord and my God at the end. Lord, we pray that our lives and our words daily express my Lord and my God, both to you and to a watching world around us. Lord, may we solidify in our lives the command and the need that if we believe, we will testify. Believing is testifying. And may the words of our mouths, the, the actions of our lives, and the scripture you have given us be our tools to testify to you. In this next few minutes as we worship, Lord, move on our hearts. Someone needs to take up their cross and follow you. It's the first time they're going to do it. They're, they're going to admit, believe, confess, and they're going to want to follow you. And they're going to be, it's going to be a messy time of discipleship and growth and learning new things. Lord, there are people here this morning that need, have trusted you as Savior, but they need to take up their cross. They need to leave family and friends. They need to leave jobs. They need to leave everything and trust that you will restore it all in your time, in your way, by your will, and we will have, they will have an abundant life. More abundant than anything they could have composed for themselves. In these next few minutes as we worship, we pray, Holy Spirit, work on hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we sing, just take a few minutes. What's God leading you to do? Chelsea will be down here to my left. I'll be down here to my right. Kirk will be in the back. Uh, if you have a prayer need, you'd like one of us to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. If you just want to come to the front and give some things to the Lord, you can do that as well. But as we stand, stand with me. Let's sing and let God work on our hearts this morning.